0: So the reading today is from Romans 8, verse 18 to 25. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. Hi, Chris. Oh, you're going to be quiet today. That's okay. (laughs) It's lovely to be with you. And thank you so much for um, leading us in that song uh, so well. Uh, I remember on Radio 4, there was a live broadcast uh, of someone undergoing brain surgery. And um, it was a new type of surgery where they were trying to keep the patient conscious during the operation. And it was a young music student and uh, they were told to either talk or sing while the operation was going on. And they decided to sing this song, Bless the Lord, (laughs) O My Soul, during the operation. I don't know about you, I think I'd be so nervous uh, that I was having an operation that was life-threatening. The idea that I would be singing live on national radio uh, would not be my first choice. But this person wanted to testify to the world that no matter how life-threatening their situation was, they had a hope. They had a hope beyond the grave, a hope that Jesus was able to hold their life in his hands and they could trust him. And that really is the heart of what we're gonna be talking about today, a hope that comes from the radical grace of God. Now, it might feel like an odd time to be speaking about hope, Uh, This feels like a momentous day in our political life, the the closing of Parliament as it dissolves uh, for this general election. And many of you will know friends are are choosing not to stand again uh, because of uh, the toxicity of politics. Uh, People who face so much abuse online or even abuse towards their children that they don't think they can stand again. This does not seem to be a day of hope in our national life, whichever party you are from. And so I think sometimes in dark times, a little bit of light goes a long way. And so maybe the hope that's in the heart of this passage today can help us. I don't know if we live in a hopeful world. Uh, I had a friend uh, who grew up in the Soviet Union, and uh, you know this weekend is the 30th anniversary of the, uh, uh, the destruction of the Berlin Wall, and my wife, and my daughter, uh, my daughter's a German student, they're going to Berlin uh, to, to celebrate the end of that kind of historic uh, empire. And it feels like we're living in a culture where more walls are going up at the moment than are coming down. But I had a friend who lived in the former Soviet Union. When we went to visit him in St. Petersburg, or Leningrad, as it was known then, uh, he had a phrase for me that really stuck. He said, Chris, you know what? Things are never so bad. That they put, could not possibly get much worse. Talk about a hope-filled environment. <laughs> Things are never so bad that they couldn't possibly get much worse. Well, think about Samuel Beckett. Remember his uh, famous uh, little play, *Waiting for Godot*, uh, which is a very depressing play where, spoiler alert, nothing actually happens. And uh, one of the phrases in that play was, "We give birth a stride." the grave. What a terrible picture that our life on this earth is just a momentary glimpse of the light before another darkness. But in the middle of that lack of hope, that fear, comes this incredible passage in the scriptures. And it's the Apostle Paul writing, and he's had an interesting journey himself. He was once someone who was chasing down Christians, looking to kill them. And he has a miraculous conversion, a, a literally a Damascus Road experience where God meets him and I think that moment changed him in so many ways that the Apostle Paul always felt no matter what situation you are in no matter how bad your life was if God can turn my life around he can turn anyone's life around and so so much of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul and it's full of hope because here is a man who's had his life turned around by the grace of God. So I'm going to read it uh, to you and just make some comments as we go and to see if it might might help us have hope in this time. And uh, if you want to follow along, uh, thank you for reading it so well. We're just going to dig in a little bit deeper. So verse 18, Paul says this, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. You know, some people have a kind of optimistic approach to life, no matter how bad things get, they they just pretend that it's always going to get better. Paul has a very realistic approach. He doesn't pretend that suffering isn't really happening. He just knows that there's better to come. He believes that there's a hope at the end of the darkest suffering because of his experience of the grace of God. I once met a theological leader from Rwanda. And during the Rwandan genocide, this uh, leader, Antoine Wojtaseri, had the opportunity to leave the country. Uh, He was a noted theologian, people wanted to employ him in various places around the world. He would be able to leave and take his family with him. But he felt called by God to stay in Rwanda during the darkest times. And he used to read the Bible, the Book of Romans and the Book of Revelation in the middle of the darkest times when him and his family were locked in the basement hearing the genocide happen around him where, as you know, a million people were killed in a hundred days. And the hope that's here, that even in our present sufferings, there's something beyond. We have a hope that allows us to keep going. Verse 19, for the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. I don't know about you how how much disruption was caused in your life by the Extinction Rebellion group uh, parading outside. Um, I know it was a little bit more difficult to get in here sometimes during that week uh, of events. And I was in uh, New York at the time uh, that Greta Thunberg was giving her presentation to the United Nations General Assembly. And I felt a real mixture of emotions listening to Greta Thunberg speak. Uh, at one moment, I was feeling incredible pride for her that he was a young girl who'd often been teased about being autistic, uh, who owned her autism, was actually able to say it was her superpower. And as the parent of an autistic child, that gives me great hope that someone uh, with what some would say was a debilitating disease was actually able to see. Uh, positive spin on it, that she had a different perspective on life uh, because of her uh, autism. But I also felt quite paternal towards her, maybe that's a wrong feeling to have, but he was a 16 year old and, and she seems to be carrying the weight of the world on her shoulders. Uh, her pained expression about uh, the lack of attention the world is giving uh, to the environmental crisis it needs to be her, but it's a lot for a 16 year old girl to carry. And I wonder in the Extinction Rebellion movement how much hope there is, that whether this is the end of civilization, whether we're on the precipice of uh, the end of life as we know. Christians ought to care about the environment because it's God's planet that we've been uh, charged to look after. But we do so not with a sense of despondency, but with a sense of hope, that one day God is going to fix everything. Everything is going to get reconciled. Under his incredible power. But Paul does something strange in this passage. He links the renewal of creation to the children of God being revealed. Have a look at verse 23. Not, not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. At the heart of the Christian gospel. In the most precious chapter, in the most well-respected letter in the New Testament, comes this idea that God wants to adopt us into his family. This resonates with me. I'm an adopted dad. And we had three birth kids in our family, and then we became foster parents and then adopted We didn't plan to be adoptive parents. We were just going to be foster carers. We had enough permanent children in our household. Thank you very much. I'd uh, completed my contribution uh, to population growth. I'd done more than the 2.2 children. I had three. And then this little girl came into her life. And she had a really, really difficult start. Uh, Trouble with her mum. uh, All sorts of uh, issues in that family home. Actually, it was cyclical. Um, Her mum had been in care herself and hadn't had a great parenting experience uh, as a child. And that had been passed on, if you like. And this little girl came into our care and she turned our world upside down. And I remember when we had to take her back because they were trying to reunite her with her birth mum. And that was a happy day because if wherever possible, a birth mum bringing up a child is a wonderful outcome. But we'd come to love this child as our own. And so off she went and uh, we went and had our little cry. And then a few months later, things had broken down with birth mum. And so we were asked if we would be foster parents again. And we, 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 we helped her come back uh, from where she'd been. Uh, she, she couldn't speak anymore because she'd had such a traumatic experience back with birth mum. And then after a few months, they tried again to rehabilitate the relationship with birth mum. And again, we were kind of happy and sad at the same time. But things broke down a few months later. And then this little child, barely able to speak, barely able to give eye contact because of the trauma she'd had, came back into our care. And we were asked if we would adopt this child. And we said, well, of course we would. We want this little girl to have somewhere safe and secure that she can live and flourish and grow. And so it was a wonderful experience. We stood in a court in Oxford and a judge pronounced that we were now this child's forever family. And that experience really opened me up to understand why God wants to adopt us. Across the UK, there are thousands of children who are waiting to be adopted. That's why Home for Good, our charity exists. Children in sibling groups and with additional needs uh, and older children wait the longest to be adopted because they're not the kind of children that most adopters would like to adopt. Many people come to adoption because of infertility. And and adoption is a great way to increase your family. But sometimes when people come because of infertility, what they really want is a perfect, precious baby. Perfect, precious babies are amazing, but they're actually in short supply. And so it's the older children that wait. And we've been trying to call the nation and the church in particular to say, do you know what, this isn't about you. This isn't about you getting the child of your dreams. This isn't about infertility or fertility. This is about any of us who could step up and be the best parents that these children had ever known. Because it's not about us getting the child that we want, it's about us being the parents that these children need. And that's actually what's going on here in this passage. Have you ever thought why God would offer to adopt you? Is God bored or lonely? was somehow in need, there's something missing from his life that unless you come along he's going to be a little bit uh, in trouble. No, God doesn't adopt us because he needs it, God adopts us because we need it. God steps up and becomes the father we need him to be and welcomes us into his family and that welcome is so precious and so powerful it's a little bit of a taste of things to come. That's why the whole creation is looking on, waiting for the children of God to be revealed, waiting for our adoption to sonship to be revealed. You see, in adoption, you get a taste of what God wants to do to the whole universe. He wants to welcome the universe home. He wants to restore it and release it and allow it to flourish and become all that it can be. That's the happy ending at the end of creation that gives us hope for however dark it gets right now. And so in the meantime, how are Christians supposed to live? We're supposed to give people a taste of what's to come. Some people call that eschatology. And if you don't know what eschatology is, don't worry, it's not the end of the world. But eschatology is the idea of the things to come make an impact in our day-to-day life. My best uh, way of thinking about that involves shopping. I enjoy taking my children shopping on a Saturday morning to our local Waitrose. We have a Waitrose in Tain. We also have a co-op at Sainsbury's and other uh, food retailers are available. But I love taking them to Waitrose on a Saturday morning. I normally go like a father hen uh, with all my little chicks behind me. Sometimes there's seven of them, although the teenagers don't like coming anymore. I don't know why. And uh, when you turn up at Waitrose on a Saturday morning, particularly when the Christmas food is about to be revealed, there are these little tasting booths. Have you ever seen them? You know, you might have a little taste of a a Christmas pie, uh, or some uh, mince pies, or a little bit of apple, or some cheese, and uh, if if you go along the aisles right, you can have a whole meal at Waitrose expense. It's lovely. If you bring disguises, it works even better, because you can go back for seconds. But when you taste, That bit of mince pie, or that bit of apple or cheese, you're tasting the real thing. But they normally give you just enough that you're still hungry for more. It's the real thing, but it's not the completion of the real thing. And I think that's the job of a Christian in the world today. We're supposed to give people a taste of the reconciliation of all things, of God's adoption of us into his family. We're supposed to give people a taste of that right now, right here in the way that we treat our neighbors, in the way that we treat our enemies, political or otherwise, we're supposed to give the world a taste of what's to come. And I think that's quite exciting. I think it means we don't expect too much that we're gonna change the world in one political uh, cycle or even in our own lifetimes, but we're gonna give people a genuine taste of what's to come that will give the world hope. Maybe you're not someone who considers yourself a Christian yet. Maybe you don't know for sure that you've been adopted into God's family. Or today, on the last day that this parliament sits, I wonder whether it could be a new beginning for you. Whether you could say, yeah, I want in on that, God. I, I know I need you. I know that I'm not close to you, but I would love to be adopted into your family. And so that opportunity is available today in a little chapel underneath Parliament, you could meet God and know him as your father. It's an incredible gift that God offers to any of us. If you'd love to chat about that, I'd love to chat to you later. But for the rest of us that know where we stand with God, I think in this election season, can we share the hope of things to come? There's a movement going on called Stop the Nastiness. I don't know if you've come across it. It's by a group called Compassion in Politics. I wonder if Christians might be at the lead in that Conversation that will offer a different way, that will recognise humanity and dignity in those that we oppose, that will speak well even of those that we don't agree with, somehow will model that our God is bigger than politics, that our God is bigger than Brexit, that our God is the God who reconciles
0: all things and would love the world to know him, whichever side of the house that we sit.